1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, Positively FedEx. Five, four, three, two,
0: one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major,
2: fantastic. It's the takeout.
0: This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major. major Garrett. Yes,
2: CBS. Yes, hi.
0: Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes.
2: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week, and welcome to your Thanksgiving week. I'm Major Garrett. We are in Juniors, In Times Square is actually where we are. And I know Juniors has this kind of rap. It's a touristy place. I don't care. I love Juniors. When I'm in New York City, typically I stay at the hotel right across the street because it's convenient for where I do my work in New York, and Junior's is my go-to place, and I love it. Thanks to Alan Rosen, the owner, for his hospitality. For those of you who are accustomed to this show, and believe me, I thank all of you in our loyal audience, whether it's on CBS News, streaming, podcast platforms, or great radio stations around the country, including Sirius XM, POTUS 124. You know what we do on Thanksgiving, week? we lighten it up. No more politics and policy. We either do one or two things, food... Or football. Well, this week it's football, and I can't have a better guest. Actually, I've been jonesing for this episode. We've been trying to work it out for the better part of a year. Nate Burleson, my colleague at CBS News, one of the hardest-working people in our industry. He's a Nickelodeon. He's got NFL Today. He's got CBS Mornings. He's got a fashion line. He's got an investment (laughs) firm. He's a husband, a father, all-around great guy. Nate Burleson, thanks for hanging out. Major Garrett, I appreciate you, baby. And just so you know, for those of you who are watching, you can catch this. But those who are listening, I want you to know what Nate Burleson's morning meal is.
3: (laughs) Mimosa,
2: grits, and sausage. And I love the way you roll, my brother. We're going to start
3: this thing off right, right? This is Thanksgiving week. We are celebrating life, family, football, and some fun. Exactly. So I wanted to make sure that um, I'm in the right mood and mimosas. They always give me
2: in the right mood. Exactly. And, of course, this is not only American Football Week, Thanksgiving week. It's World Football Week. You know, the world would say the real football. Yeah, football. We call it soccer. Right. But the World Cup is going on. So all the best to Team USA. That's right. That's right. So, Nate, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your NFL. I want to talk a lot about your NFL career. (laughs) But before we get to that, I'm not sure everyone knows. Where were you born? And give us the early story of Nate Burleson and this as I read, tight-knit, heavily athletic family. For sure, Um, I was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada.
3: Um, My mom and dad had four boys. I was the only one born outside of the country. Um, My dad, after going to the University of Washington, I'm having a short stint in the NFL, USFL, for the LA Express, he ended up playing nine years in the CFL for the Calgary Stampeders. Um, And my mom was visiting him. I came out early. She wasn't expecting me to. Um, So I ended up um, being born in Canada, but then raised in Seattle. So, you know, I I tell the story um, that I'm proud to be born in Canada because it kind of set the tone for my life. The reason I was born there is because my dad was playing football. The reason Mm -hmm. that I chased football as a goal was because of my father. So um, just trying to emulate him put me in a position where, you know, I was a student athlete. Scholarship offers were flying in for track, basketball, and football. And I picked football. And it opened up doors, really, for the rest of my life. And your brothers are all athletes, too. Yeah. Yeah, listen, my, my oldest brother, he played at the University of Washington as well. Um, he's Alvin, Alvin II. And then Kevin Burleson played at the University of Minnesota basketball, Golden Gophers. It's funny because when I got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in 2003, He was graduating from the University of Minnesota, so we were there at the same time crossing paths. Um, He ended up playing for the Bobcats, played overseas in Heidelberg, Germany, among other places, came back as a coach. He spent the last few years with the Houston Rockets, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and now he just started as a head coach for the Houston G League's team, um, the, the Vipers. So he's on this coaching journey. And then my little brother played at the University of Nevada, basketball so we went football basketball football basketball and that's just my side of the family my wife she um, graduated with her master's uh, former collegiate hurdle champion indoors her brother 6'7 shooting guard was Arizona State basketball player of the year Um, he's 6'7 and her dad's 6'4 so we have this uh, this mix of genetics firing off yeah no uh, doubt athletically but at the very base of it a family that is based around academics. You know, we've always thought to ourselves, be thankful that we're blessed genetically, but you have to ride the academic wave as long and as far as you can, Um, but when you,
2: when you catch both of them at the same time, yep. it's like lightning in a bottle. So as I understand it, you and your brother Kevin are an answer to a trivia question. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Who is the most recent brother combo in the NBA and the NFL? At the same time. At the yeah, same he time. was with the Bobcats and I was
3: with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, we've been talking trash ever since. <laughs> you know, because I claim to be a basketball player. You know, every, listen, you meet any NFL athlete and ask them if they could have played another sport. Ten times out of ten, they'll be like, oh, yeah, man, I was one hell of a shooting guard. Or, you know what, I, I, I was a great pitcher. You know, you know, listen, I could have been, you know, one hell of a golfer. It just so happened I was great at football. Mm-hmm. So um, NFL players, we all claim to be something else. Um, and I'll, I'll continue to tell everybody that I would have been a great NBA point guard.
2: <laughs> what is the biggest difference between elite college football and the NFL? You know, that's a great, great question. Um, my last year of
3: college football. University of Nevada. At University of Nevada. It was my third year. I was a junior. And it seemed like everything was happening the way I wanted it to. Now, it's easy for me to say that. Let me explain, you know, because we have a little time. And I want to break this down for Mm -hmm. kids out there, even young adults that might be listening. It wasn't by chance. I feel like I was blessed, um, first and foremost. I was thankful that um, I had an opportunity to go to college and play football and be a scholarship athlete. But going into that last year, picture this. I had around 50 catches in my first year, 50 catches in my second year, decent seasons. But then my last year, I said, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give myself the best chance to be successful. I'm going to work harder than any other athlete on the team. So I would do training with my team and then I would go train um with uh, another coach with specific training, speed, vertical, agility all of these different drills that I wanted to add on. It's like I was just depositing money into the bank, and then game day is where I would take out my withdrawals. So that was one thing that separated me from my peers. Another thing that I did, like I said, I was raised in a Christian home, and I never claimed to be perfect, but I would say the closest I've ever been to being as disciplined in my walk was my junior year. Um, My wife or girlfriend at the time, you know we were uh, dating, and like any other college athletes, you know, we were hanging out, kicking it at night. Um, I decided, along with her, you know what, let's try to be abstinent. Let's mm-hmm. not let's not hang out with each other and tempt each other late at night. So mm-hmm. around 11 p.m., we would leave each other's homes and, and try to remain that purity. And that mm-hmm. was the key word. And I want to continue to drill that to everybody's minds that's listening. I didn't drink, mm-hmm. didn't smoke, mm-hmm. didn't indulge in all these things that quote-unquote college kids wanted right. to right. Um, and maybe some things that I've done before <clears throat> hanging out on the weekend party and having a beer or two I just said I'm going to be as pure as possible um, I also I got rid of every piece of music um, every VHS tape DVD that was negative or had curse words in it um, mm-hmm. I wanted to listen to things that were edifying to my soul um, so all of these things It literally made me the purest version of myself. So when I was in the classroom, I could download information, I had the best grades. On the football field, I would go from watching film to feeling like Neo in the Matrix on game day. So I say all that to give you what happened that last year. My junior season, it was like a blur. I had 138 catches, not in my career, in that season. And people say, oh man, you were amazing. It wasn't me, it was divine intervention, along with all these things that I put in place to give myself the best focus. Um, there were games where I would get through, pick my head up, and my teammates would be like, bro, you you know you just caught 19 catches. And I'm like, what? Yeah, you just broke the conference. You caught the ball 19 times. We threw it to you 21 times. Two of the balls were uncatchable. Everything <laughs> that touched your hand, you caught you it. You And uh, I ended that season four catches away from breaking the NCAA all-time record. Um, and that was because I was as pure as I've ever been. So that was my college... Like that, that was like my, my riding off into the sunset. I could have came back for my senior year. We had a young quarterback coming back, and these agents were knocking at my door saying, it's either now or never, you'll get drafted. It's up to you what you do from there. So I'm setting that up for a couple of reasons. One, if you're out there and you're trying to figure out a way to, to break through, if you're trying to figure out a way to get the best version of yourself, try to be as pure as possible, remove the junk, and then see how you can dominate in the space you're in. But once I got to the NFL... I realized it was a lot harder than college was. We're going to get to
2: that part of the answer in just a second, but that's a beautiful, beautiful summary of this process that Nate Burleson went through. He's our special guest. Happy Thanksgiving week. I'm Major Garrett. We're juniors in the Times Square. Back for segment two in just a second.
0: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back and the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Nate Burleson is with us. We're at Juniors in Times Square Happy Thanksgiving week. I know basically from you know August until February every week is football week in America, but some are more football weekish than others. I think yeah. Thanksgiving week is like the me- meta yep. football week. Uh, let me run down some statistics. Nate Burleson's NFL career, 10 years in the league, the league, 135 games, 457 receptions, 750 targets, 5,630 yards. Average per catch, 12 yards, .3, 12.3 yards, 39 TDs, 8 fumbles, 7 lost.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, when people look at high-level championship Division One college football, then they look at the NFL, what is the biggest difference? What is in that gap, and what accounts for that gap? It's all mental. All mental. You know, oftentimes you hear rookies
3: say, Man, the game is so much faster. Faster. Speed. Yeah, speed of the game. Mm -hmm. The guys are so much bigger and stronger. The last two things are true. Mm -hmm. Guys are bigger. They are stronger. These are grown men um, that have mastered their skills. But the game itself isn't faster. It's the same game that you've been playing since you were nine years old. The difference is your mind is moving slower. So the first time you step on the field you realize that you're thinking more than you ever thought before. The reason I had success in college and in high school because there was a point where I knew the game like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that happens in any walk of life. You know, I know we'll get to it, but, you know, I transitioned from sports to news Yep. those first few weeks. <laughs> TV wasn't different. No. Nope. It's the same old TV I've been doing for the last five years. Mm-hmm. But it's the knowledge of the things that I am now talking about more consistent than I've ever been before. And um, Once you catch up on that, and once you're uh, more locked in and you do this, the this, this studying, the game slows down. You know, I oftentimes I just love the, the movie The Matrix, and there's the moment where, where Neo realizes, like, you know, he is the one, and he starts seeing all of these lines and coding, mm-hmm. and that's how the game slows down for guys that reach that point. Dante Culpepper was my first quarterback in the mm-hmm. NFL playing for the Minnesota Vikings. He had an MVP season my second year. Three out of the first five games, he threw for five or more touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Those, those numbers are wild. And I remember just being this young guy, and I'm just like at his house. He had another party because he would bring guys together to build chemistry. And I'm just like this little high-pitched kid without a hair on my face. I'm like, hey, Dante, kid, how do you feel? You're playing amazing. They're talking about you and the MVP. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but that's how I felt. I sounded, Um, and Dante's like, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to do my thing, and I'm like, yeah, but I mean, you're playing so amazing, man. Like, what is it like? How do you do it? And he's just like, I feel like, like Neil when he realized he was the one, and I never forgot that, and I use it often, because you can use it in any space, and I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. He said, I don't see players anymore. This is the quarterback that right. sees everything. He has right. the ball in his hand majority of the time. Right. He said, I don't see players anymore. I see X's and O's. Mm -hmm. Think about that. How dope is that? Because when we study film, when we are looking through our playbook, that's how everything is drawn out. It's drawn out in X's and O's. Mm -hmm. And coaches hope that how we study it, how we draw it up, that's how it plays out. Oftentimes it doesn't. It's more beautiful chaos than it is a perfect game plan. Mm -hmm. But Dante said he's doing so much film work and his brain – His IQ, football IQ, met his athleticism, and they are both firing off at the same time. And now he just sees X's and O's instead of guys in jerseys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to get to that point. Because without knowing it, I was at that point in college. Mm -hmm. In college, I wasn't paying attention to the corner in front of me. Right. You were merely just an obstacle. Mm -hmm. I know where the ball is going to me, and I know where I'm going to the end zone. Right. So... The game never got faster once you got in the league. Mm-hmm. It's just that your mind started moving slower. So what do you do as a player to get your mind caught back up with the so-called speed of the game? What do you do? You have to study. Right. You have to study and you have to lose yourself in the monotony of what is the work. You know, we oftentimes talk about greatness, but we don't talk about what it takes to be great. And let's just call it what it is. The, the journey to being great at anything is exhausting mm-hmm. people say hey man nate you're doing so awesome in tv man look at you 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 went from sports to entertainment and now news and you have all of these different shows and you have these side ventures that you're doing and it seems like you have your hands in everything, and everything and it and it and it it is from the outside looking in i can assume that life is lovely and i'm like sure in moments it is mm-hmm. but it's also really tiring mm-hmm. it's also really exhausting there's long days and short mornings yep um, and if you look at any of the greats in any walk of life, not just sports, there are times when they had to dedicate themselves to being exhausted. And that's what nobody will, will agree to. If, if somebody said, I want to be great, and then after that, all right, here's a contract. But what you're going to have to agree to, the, the fine print says you're going to be tired more times than not. Mm-hmm. You're going to be walking around feeling like a zombie. There's times mm-hmm. you're going to have to wake up when the moon is out. And nobody else is up. And you'll come home when the sun is going down. Right. Are you willing to do that?
2: And all that spontaneity, you better put that on a shelf. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like something's coming. Hey, I got tickets to this. Uh,
3: No. Right. Answers no. Right. Right. The sacrifice. Answers no. The sacrifice. And and it's hard. It's hard for young people to sacrifice because we get so caught up in, well, you know, the time is now for me to really give myself what I want. Mm -hmm. But like. I heard once, like, do what you have to do now, so you can do what you want to do later. Mm-hmm. It's hard for young people
2: to understand. And listen, hey. I'm, 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 that's a that's a variation of Denzel's saying.
3: Right, right. And
2: and and I am. I do more to- of what I want to do now, and less of what I have to do. Earlier mm-hmm. in my career, I had to do a lot of what I had to do. You had to do. And he said, I've banked my entire existence in the entertainment industry on doing more of what I want to do. Yeah projects that really interest me, projects that fire me up. Right. And maybe I'll do an interview or do uh, do a movie where it's more of a box office thing and maybe I'm not as passionate about it, but it gives me the flexibility to do what I want to do. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And that's it. And and that's where I feel like you know,
3: the young people that are in the league they realize, the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll see greatness.
2: So you mentioned that purity of your junior year in college. Yeah. Was that a one-time thing? Or do you did you carry that at least in some dimension forward and do you still have it today I still have it um but it,
3: it's it's that one mm-hmm. moment in my life where I can reference mm-hmm. and look back it's like a it's like a tab in the book of life mm-hmm. like, oh,
2: I remember that one chapter mm-hmm. things were working yeah. seamlessly yeah
3: and it seems like you were
2: intentional about pulling away every distraction yes it was the yes. intention
3: it was the intention you know I went to University of Nevada our um mascot is wolf pack and someone once said, while I was in church, you have two wolves inside of you. Mm-hmm. The one you feed the most is the one that's going to win. Yep. It's the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that was that season where I tapped into that. And to your question, there's times where you feel like you might be distracted. You might be distracting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can always reference that. Like, Nate, get back to that. Find purity in your life. Where, mm-hmm. where are things that you can can clean up and allow yourself to be the best Husband, father, friend, mm-hmm. co-worker, right. um, best media
2: personality you can be. I'm not sure, but I have read a book of Native American wisdom. It may not originate with Native Americans, but that story I is very so. familiar. I that think so. You have two wolves inside, every person. Yep. One can be growling and intense and quote-unquote evil. One can be good, and the one you feed is the one that will grow and Eclipse the other Eventually become
3: who you are mm-hmm. And we have to realize that And it's, it's fluid, right? It's not just one moment in your life right. It's our entire lives
2: mm-hmm.
3: Like trying to do what is right And do what we think we're good at Is a lifelong journey
2: College or NFL When was the most joyous moment of your playing life? <laughs> I gotta say the NFL mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna front
3: College was fun <laughs> But I was also a struggling college student We're talking <laughs> top ramen and hot dogs, baby <laughs> Canned goods, you know what I mean? We would fight over the last Chicken McNugget. Uh, grown men, by the way. But the NFL was fun because you score a touchdown, there's sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 people that rise to their feet, mm-hmm. another million or so watching at home. Mm-hmm. And the bigger the game, the bigger the fan base. Mm-hmm. It was like being a rock star with football pads on. Mm-hmm. And we just traveled city to city, and the end zone was my
2: stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got there. 39 times. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm going to gather you remember all 39.
3: I do. I remember all 39. And there's a few on there that are punt returns and kickoff returns. Yes. That
2: um, that are even more memorable. And we're going to get into that when we come back for segment three because I want to talk about the science of punt returns and kickoff returns. Ooh, I got something good for you. That's Nate Burleson. We're juniors in Times Square. Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. I know you dig the takeout year-round, and I thank you for that. I'm Major Gary. We'll see you for segment three in just a second.
0: CBS News. This is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Juniors is our host restaurant. Many thanks to them here on Times Square. A favorite of mine, it really is. And again, Nate Burleson rolls with, I think, one of the best breakfasts I've ever seen. Grits with sugar and butter. Mimosa. Aces. Oh, yeah, and pork sausage. Awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, we mentioned before we went to break, Nate Burleson was really an important, in his time, 10 years in the league punt returner. He also returned kickoffs, but the punt return stats are off the grid. 156 punts returned, 1,523 yards, three touchdowns, the longest TD return, 94 yards. What is the science of punt returns?
3: All right, so here's the thing about punt returns. You're not supposed to catch it inside your 10-yard line. Under to any the, circumstance. Under any circumstance, because typically you let that ball bounce to the end zone, you get the touchback, you get the ball on the 20. But for me... I love living on the wild side. I'm a little bit of a risk taker, um, which is why, for a long time, I don't know if I still have this, uh, this record, um, the most punt returns of 90 yards or more. You do. Because guys don't typically return within that um, yardage. All right, but I want people to understand how beautifully chaotic the punt return is. It's a lot different than being a wide receiver and depending on the quarterback to throw me the ball or the coach to call my number. When it's a punt return, I know that ball has to go off of the punter's foot into my chest. And at that point, it is going to be a free-for-all. You have 11 guys running down, like kamikaze pilots. Mm-hmm. Um full tilt, me. full tilt. Yeah, full tilt, and their job is to get the ball out or to hurt you, right? Um, my job is to dodge, duck, dive, dodge, like the movie Dodgeball. And dodge And then get into the end zone Okay, but I, I want to break this down slowly So for those that are watching You can pay attention If all you have is the audio I want you to close your eyes Now imagine the crowd Loud, cheering If you're at home I used to hear chants, chant Nate, Nate, Nate If you're on the road Boo, you're a bum Drop it I'm trying to block out both because all of my focus is on the ball. I'm looking at the gunners. They're mm-hmm. called gunners for a reason because they're the fastest guys and they are gunning to take the And they're on down. the wings. And they're on the wings on the outside. You see the snap. The ball goes off of the punter's foot. Boom! And all I hear is the crowd. I'm nervous. I can slowly hear my breath increase and then my heart rate start to rise inside my helmet. I'm looking at the gunners, looking at the ball, looking at the gunners, looking at the ball. I know I'm getting more and more nervous because I start to breathe faster. Ball gets closer to me. I hear a thud to my chest. Boom. And at that moment, I don't hear the crowd. It's like the audio goes out. I know where the gunners are. They're so close to me, I can touch them. Now I have to make them miss. If I make them miss the fast guys, The bigger guys I got a chance to get away from. I make one move. All I hear is grunts. Mm, ah. Cleats hitting the ground. Mm, ah. And I'm trying to get away from the obstacles with my eyes on the end zone. There's moments where you're in the midst of a chaos. You remember them cartoons where it's like a scrum and there's, there's dust and there's legs and there's arms. That's what it feels like. But then it's almost like God opens up a window and all I see is... A bright light. A lane. I'm not exaggerating. A lane. It's a lane, and it's like, ha ha. And your mind, your mind is like, hit the gap, shoot the gap, attack the window, and then you go. By that time, you feel like you're in open space. If you got the punter in front of you, number one rule never get tackled by the punter because your teammates won't let you hear the last of it. You make him miss, and the wild thing is, you get back in the end zone. Audio turns back on, Mm -hmm. and I am not exaggerating, and all of a sudden the crowd goes crazy, you're breathing hard, (sighs) still trying to play it off like you meant to do everything that they just saw, Mm -hmm. knowing that there was a little bit of divine intervention, some luck, and some really good effort in blocking by your teammates. That's why I feel like the punt return is one of the most beautiful, most poetically chaotic plays in all of sports. How do you decide whether or not to fair catch a run. See, there's the idiocracy that lives within Nate Burleson. I hated to fair catch. Mm-hmm. There was something about, like, the moment uh, becoming too <laughs> didn't silent. Didn't feel right. Didn't yeah, feel right. It's, like, it's like I'm waving my hand, and <laughs> everybody's silent. They're, like, waiting. Is he going to catch it? And I felt more comfortable catching and running knowing I want to make a move versus, like, catching and securing. Because um, you also got all these guys running up to you real close, and they're breathing at you. Their eyes are all bugged out, and they're like, oh. <laughs> and then he got to catch the ball and secure it i'd rather just take my chance of trying to score a touchdown which is why i had that kind of
2: ridiculous record mm-hmm. yeah. i want to go back to uh, your life in the nfl as a receiver uh-huh. so i grew up in san Diego, california yeah grew up as a charger fan yeah. there's a legendary charger receiver named lance allworth of course his career average is still the nfl record 18.9 yards it's ridiculous per catch yeah that's his average ridiculous over an entire career yeah explain to the audience why that's ridiculous
3: because like just imagine your average being how many yards you get every time you catch the ball um that's almost know, my, 20 yards Mine's is you know just above 12 which means yeah. you know i'm averaging a first down i can move the sticks right we're talking almost 20 yard chunks by lance um, every time he caught the ball, on average, yeah, which means not only was he catching those big shots downfield, but he would take a short pass, four to five yards, and get upfield and get the yak yards, as we call it, yards after catch. Yep. So, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable when you look at stats from guys in that era. Also, that was a different time. Mm-hmm. Like, those defenders were using <laughs> old school WWF. <laughs> you, I, you hear I said WWF, not WWE. This is like... Uh yeah. junkyard dog around the chain, clotheslines, right. macho man, Randy forearm Savage, shivers. like forearm shivers, yeah. like spearing, all of these rules right. that they have now, it, it wasn't the same back then. No. It was nasty out there. And he
2: had the least aggressive nickname ever in professional football. Yeah, Bambi. Bambi. Because he, he was like he pranced. Yeah, he
3: was he was um, he was like a, a ballerina mm-hmm. out there, um, and, and it helps yep. when you're light on your feet at the wide receiver position.
2: When you're catching the ball in the NFL, what is the most important part of that? Is it your feet or your hands? <sighs> um, it's your hands and your eyes. Your hands and
3: your eyes. Yeah, because what happens is when you're running a route, you get to the top of it, and your hands are ready to catch the ball, but your eyes want to look at that defender mm-hmm. who you hear. Right. So now your, your other sense is starting to kick in. Nervousness is starting to set, and your eyes want to just dart over. Just Okay, I knew he was 10 yards away. Let me make sure he's still 7 yards away or 5 yards away. Mm-hmm. And then once your eyes leave the ball, that's when
2: you see why receivers drop it. And that has to be more prevalent. On an interior route than a sideline oh, route. Oh, for
3: sure. Because Explain you got to the audience big what alligator arms are. Oh, man. Alligator arms are the same thing when you're going out with a group of friends and that one broke friend, he act like he's reaching for the check, but he really doesn't. You know, it feels like his, his elbow is attached to his rib cage. So receivers get that exact same motion when they're running across the middle of the field and a linebacker is there. You know, I remember seeing um, Ray Lewis um, and, and – it to myself all right i could either catch this and take a hit and possibly risk snot bubbles running down my face or i can give them the alligator arms and have the embarrassment of ray talking trash but then my teammates knowing that i gave up on the play so i decided to catch the ball and take the hit you know that's why i probably had a few surgeries while i played Mm -hmm. you know i wasn't turning down a big hit because there was a big guy waiting on me but yeah alligator arms happens a lot and now that i mention it You'll see it uh, when, you, when when it happens in the NFL.
2: Injuries are inseparable from the NFL game. Right, right. Correct? I've had a bunch. I've, I've had ACL, PCL,
3: MCL, broken leg, torn thumb, broken finger, broken ribs, broken nose, two separated shoulders. Of course, I've had concussions, fractures in my ankle.
2: Um, all, of that, torn groin, all of that in the NFL? All of that in the NFL. I think one separated shoulder was in college for the most part. All of that in the NFL. So 90% of the injuries you just described happened in your time, your 10 years in the league. Most most definitely. And I didn't know they were as
3: bad until I retired. Until you retired and you found out. And I had to go to a doctor who wasn't attached by the NFL
2: to really give me the full detail of my injuries. That is the voice of Nate Burleson. We are at Juniors in Times Square. What a great conversation this is. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy football week. Back for segment four in just one second.
4: Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
0: From CBS News, this is The
2: Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. So great to have you with us. Happy Thanksgiving week. Nate Burleson is with us. So great to hang out with him. I once was lucky enough, Nate, to have dinner with a gentleman named Willie Lanier. Of course. Yeah. And he said... He focused in his career on his availability, avoiding injury at all costs. Mm. He said it's not always possible, but he gave me an example. He said one time I was in a playoff game and I intercepted the ball and I ran straight out of bounds. I did not run into four people to get four extra yards. Yeah. He said, I said, well, why? He said, because that four extra yards might have risked my availability. Of course. And he said, let me tell you something. In the league, your viability is your availability. That's right. Period. You're right. If you if you are not available, you are not viable. Yeah. Which means your economic future and your entire status in the league is jeopardized. Spot on. Spot true. on. True. It, it's true. You know, um, when I played,
3: I and, came and in. And I in thought,
2: th- listening to him, like, what do you, Willie, no one's going to take your spot. He said, no, everyone can take your spot. Everyone.
3: Especially if you're injured. Mm-hmm. You know, when I played, I came in on the tail end of, a, I guess, Decently tough error. This is 3 You know, the rules were a little looser for defenders, so there were still big hits. Mm-hmm. Um, they still had segments like, you got jacked up. You <laughs> can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> which they still should. I liked it. Yeah. Listen, I used to take big hits, get up, and dap the guy up. Like, yo, that was a nice hit. Right. Um, and I used to take big hits, like, after I broke my ribs, and I would play it off. You know, And the guy's like, yeah, Nate, I know you felt that. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> And I go to the sideline, and they're like, "Yep, you, you broke your rib. That's for sure." Mm. And I would ask the, the trainers, "Well, can I break it anymore?" "No. All right. Well, give me a rib protector. I'm going back in." Um, I, I I I walk that line. Of Those, being conversations too tough. Those conversations happen. Those conversations happen. But for me, um, if if I look, if I were to like give advice to young Nate, I wouldn't fight for as many extra yards. I wouldn't decide to take on the guy who's 50 pounds heavier because it made me seem tough, or I was fighting for a yard that didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's the Super Bowl, and there's zero seconds left, and I gotta dive over a pile and take the shot of my life, I'll do it. But I'm in the preseason, trying to run over four or five guys, I'm getting hit from all angles. I remember one time, I'm sitting there fighting for an extra yard, the cornerback is holding me up, and I see this linebacker, and he is just hauling it from the middle of the field. And I'm sitting here looking at the yard marker. I'm like, all right, let me fight for extra yards. That way we can move the sticks and I'll get the first down. Uh, uh. And he's like a freight train. I can mm-hmm. see it in his eyes. And there's nothing better for a linebacker to hit a little guy because we shake him all game long. <laughs> so it's like finally. It's, you know, it's like, it's like when, when Tom the Cat finally catches Jerry. You know? right, right. So he was just running, looking at me, licking his chops. And I could have just slid down. Mm-hmm. And he, he had the, he's up. But I stayed up and I wanted to take the hit. He hits me. Boom, lights out. But I was in the pile of a guy that was holding me. So nobody realized that I just had a concussion and my lights went out. And the guy that was holding me up, he probably was thinking that I felt like a baby in his arms. Because I went limp for a second. And I woke back up. I walked to the sideline. And... I was thinking to myself, why did I take that hit? Mm. It was so unnecessary. Mm. But I did that time and time again. Now, sometimes it was worth it. Yep. Sometimes I ran over a guy, mm-hmm. and the crowd got hyped. Yep. My team got juiced up. We got the momentum. Yep. They're high five me on the sideline, and it looks great on my highlight. But if I could do it all again, I wouldn't, because there's a ton of surgeries and procedures that I had that were a direct result of my
2: quote-unquote toughness on the field. Mm-hmm. We've had DeMora Smith... Uh Executive yep. director of the NFLPA on this program. Yep. We've had Eric Winston, uh, who's president of the NFLPA. Right. And we've talked about this before, but I want you to personalize it for my audience. This concept of being on the roster, being on the 53-man, what yep. that means in terms of one year in the league yeah. or when you get to that magic that three-and-a-half.
3: Yeah, at three-and-a-half, four-year mark is when you know that um, you will start to get the kickback of being in the league. You're, you, you get that retirement plan. Um, and I, I will healthcare. say this, the health care, the... the the NFL does a great job when it comes to 401K, the retirement funds in place. Um, I know they've, they've done better since I got in. Um, but once you hit that magic number, now you're somewhat comfortable. i got to be honest. When I first got drafted, I was a third rounder out of Nevada. And, of course, every kid dreamed of being in the NFL. But you, I wasn't the guy that was blessed enough to be the superstar everywhere I went. So it wasn't one of those things that I talked about every single day. Um, so I assumed that I'd be out. Um, within two and a half, three years, because that was the average at the time. Mm-hmm. Which is why when people ask me, what were your interests while you were playing? I say, well, I owned a restaurant and I started an investment firm and clothing lines. and I was writing poetry and scripts and you know I was uh, dibble-dabbling in um, media, sports, local news. Why were you doing all of those things? Because I thought that the light of the end of the tunnel was much brighter than it actually was. Mm-hmm. I got past that two and a half, three-year mark. And I was like, oh, wow, it's year four, year five. Mm -hmm. And I got to 10 and 11. And that's when I realized the benefit of being on the 53-man roster Mm -hmm. every year for 11 years. And then still getting my mail today and being able to show my kids my health care plan, my retirement funds, plural, mm -hmm. um, and what I was able to invest in my 401K while the NFL matched it throughout my career. Like, it was... It's, it's the bigger reason of why you want to make that roster and last. And I tell guys that all the time. Look, it's great to be the superstar, but make sure you take care of your money and you're on top of your retirement fund mm-hmm. uh-huh. so that way when you're done playing, you can look forward to these ladders of income as you
2: retire. And so many players live the next man up life. No doubt. Your second year was breakout because you were the next man up behind? Randy Moss. Randy he Moss. Tore his hamstring. One of the greatest receivers of that era.
3: One of the greatest receivers of that era. I remember him tearing his hamstring and them saying he's going to be out maybe four to six weeks. For some reason, I didn't think he would be out because he was such a superstar. Because he was Randy Moss. Because he was Randy Moss. He was like a superhero to me. And you know, they're saying, hey, all right, Nate, You know, it's going to be on you, second-year player. We're going to feed you a little bit more. And I'm nervously shaking my head, yes, yes. I remember being in the waiting room, me and Randy crossing paths. He looks at me, he said, hey, yo, Dummison. He called me Dummison because my rookie year over the summer, I made a lot of mistakes. And sidebar, he said, hey, Dummison, get in the playbook. So that was my nickname for a long time. So he catches me in the weight room. He says, uh, hey, Dummison. I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, look, I'll be out about a month or so. Take advantage. That's what this game is all about. Catch as many balls as you can in the time that I am out. Because when I get back, damn near every ball is coming to me. And I I looked at him, I nodded my head, I thought about it for a second, and I was like, well, I got a window of time to get my rocks off. And I sure did. I became one of Dante Culpepper's favorite targets, and that was the season I put up 1,000 yards. Mm -hmm. And when he came back, now I wasn't just a guy. I was the Robin
2: to his Batman. Right. Two quick questions before we have to wrap up this part of it. How important is the precision of the route run oh, and what difference have gloves made for receivers
3: well the precision of the routes is important and every route has to look the same for the first 10 yards that's why the great receivers are great you look at jerry rice looks like he's running one route before he breaks in a million different ways so you have to be finite and all of your movement you have to be crisp in and out of your breaks and you have to minimize all the tail signs it's like poker you can't give any tails to a good db because they know when you're going to stop and they'll jump all over you the gloves Oh, man, it's like it's like stick 'em back in the day. Remember when they, they told the guys they couldn't have the sticky stuff on their hands right. and they're just grabbing everything like Spider-Man? Gloves are very similar to that. It's like patent leather on your hands. The only thing is when it gets wet, that's when the real hands show up because you can't use that patent leather
2: in the rain. And gloves cannot make up for bad hands. You're right about that. That's Nate Burleson. What a great, great, great thrill and pleasure it's been for me. For those of you in our radio audience, happy Thanksgiving week. We need to say farewell. For those of you on our podcast platforms and on CBS News streaming, you are going to want to stay around for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm you gay. We'll see you next week.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, and this is an especial on top of an especial for me, (laughs) I'm telling you. Nate Burleson, it's such a great hang. It's such a great conversation. I love being with you. I I love learning from you. Um, A little bit more football, then we're going to get into our threshold questions. But on football, what is, for the casual or even the above casual fan, the science of a fumble? Is that a... A failure on the part of an offensive player, or is that a tactical success for a defensive player? It's a
3: tactical success for the defensive player. Um, It's more genius for a defender to come in and not just wrap you up and get the tackle, but use his offhand to either rip, punch, or just simply strike the ball out. Mm. Um, What happens is, when an offensive player becomes a runner, we're distracted by all of these things the defender who's in front of us the journey to the end zone the chaos of the crowd it could be the weather it could be cold, where the sideline is sideline yardage all of these markers different factors defenders know when a guy's focused on any of these external factors and they can see a weak point in the ball um, which is great you know he, he, even the times where a guy would knock the ball out i would have to kind of tip my helmet to him like yeah that was good because i wasn't thinking about you Mm -hmm. And you knew that, and that's how you got the ball out. So when you see a fumble, it's not like, oh, my gosh, the offensive player blew it. More so, give the applause and the credit to the defender who got it out.
2: What's the walk back to the sideline after
3: a fumble? Uh, It's the worst. It is the worst because you got your head down, your shoulders are slumped, and you're just waiting for somebody to tell you it's okay. (laughs) And if it's at the end of the game, there is no one that can make you feel better. Because even though there's moments in the game where your team could have played better, that one fumble decided it all.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have uh, our favorite threshold questions. Every okay. guest has okay. answered them for the better part of six years. Okay. Take these in whichever order you prefer and take as long as you want with the answers. Okay. Most influential book in your life and why? All-time favorite movie? And I may give you two answers on that, sports and regular okay, or non-sports. And then... Uh, Nate Burleson is on a long flight or a long drive and he is going to really get into some music that makes him very happy. What kind of music, artist or genre is that likely to be? Okay, um, Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. Why? Why?
3: Because when I read it, it was after my NFL career. Mm -hmm. So it was validation why I saw success, in the NFL, because at that point I had been playing the game of football since I was nine. So I put in my 10,000 plus hours. Mm-hmm. So I was able to pat myself on the back without being self-serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and and appreciate the grind. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the 10,000 plus hours. This was after I found success in my TV career. Mm-hmm. I'd already won an Emmy at this point. And sometimes it's hard to explain to people why you find success in a new chapter. And I don't ever wanna take full responsibility of the success that I may have right now at this point in my life. There's so many people that have had hands in, Mm -hmm. who I am as a media personality, as a host. Um, But the book, it confirmed. I left the game not as a new guy walking into TV, I left the game as a guy who started my TV journey my rookie year of the NFL. I would fly myself to LA, work at the NFL Network, not be on camera, rub shoulders with producers, sit behind the scenes. I had one host, Dan Haley, um, I appreciate you more than you know. He told me while we were working together, when I was just a player being an analyst, he said, pay attention to what I do as a host. He said, because the moment you learn how to host is the moment individuals like me become non-existent. And when we can't show up, they don't have to scramble to find somebody else that never played the game, they can use you. And from that moment on, I started paying attention to him, reading the prompter, And then I read that book and I was like, oh, I put in my 10,000. I don't have to feel bad about being good on TV. I put in some 10,000 plus hours. I'm not saying I'm great. I have a lot of learning to do, but I don't have to feel bad about being good. So that's why I love that book. Um, My favorite sports movie. Um, All right, I'll give you my favorite movie and then my favorite sports movie. You know, I I really love um, comedies. Mm -hmm. and." I thought that Bad Boys with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, is just a classic film. (laughs) Two guys, uh, you know, about friendship Mm -hmm. and commitment, um, giving each other crap throughout. Mm -hmm. And it was this introduction of who Will Smith and Martin Lawrence could be on the big screen. I love that from a comedic standpoint um, in a good action movie. Yep. Uh, It makes me smile every time I watch it. Sports movies, it's a toss-up. For some reason, I just really love The Sandlot. It's yeah. just a, it make, it's a feel-good movie. Come on, man. If you learn how to pickle the beast, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, it's just a great man, film. Man, you're killing me. Yeah. <laughs> Small, you're, you're killing me. me. And, then, and then, you know, they saw, the, they saw the babe. They saw the great Bambino. He saw him in his dreams. He said, yeah. remember, um, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Like That is just a classic quote. Um, and then Wildcats with Goldie Hahn back in the day. There we a go. Very inappropriate sports movie, but and I don't know why I was watching it at that age. <laughs> then A Long Ride Home. Yeah. Music. Music on a road trip, a long ride in the car. I'm putting in Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I love hip-hop, but I love hip-hop hip that is thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. There's been an evolution of Jay-Z from the young guy talking about how he came out of Marcy Projects, had to sell dope to find his way in life, to now evolving and teaching the young Listeners of music about what's important in life. Now he talks about investments and how he wants to embrace his culture and learn more more about who he is and where he's going, and also somebody who can identify with his mistakes, where he was, and where he wants to go in the future. So, I love Jay Z. I I would be listening to Jay Z. Public service announcement. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My favorite song.
2: Businessman.
3: Yes. I'm a. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. man.
2: Yeah. Nate. My pleasure. Oh, Thanks man, for being thank here. You.
3: Appreciate you, man.
2: Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. This has been your Takeout Outtake Special. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake
0: Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production